I'm Charles Payne. I'm Kat Timpf. I'm Stuart Varney. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, January 26, 2024. I'm Chris Foster. The Biden campaign wants the abortion issue front and center and sharpens its focus on a rematch with former President Trump. They are going to leverage what they think will get voters out the door. And Donald Trump, to be fair, also gets Democrat voters out the door. We're speaking with Fox News Sunday host Shannon Bream. And Lisa Brady. Students might get paid to show up in some Ohio schools, an effort to crack down on chronic absenteeism, which can cost money later. So this is actually, if it works a way of saving the system significant amounts of money and getting kids both in school and graduating. And I'm Kennedy. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. The economy grew faster than expected at the end of last year, an annual rate of 3.3% looking at gross domestic product. Instead of a recession predicted by some economists, growth for all of 2023 comes in at 2.5%. President Biden's been saying all along his policies are working. There are 800,000 new manufacturing jobs nationwide, good-paying jobs. And employment has been the lowest, been below 4% for the longest stretch in 50 years. And it's even lower in Wisconsin and Minnesota, where it stands at 3.3 and 2.9% respectively. The president there in Superior, Wisconsin. Former President Trump pulls ahead of him on the economy and overall in a general election matchup. He's now 2-0 in the Republican presidential race, winning Iowa and this week New Hampshire against his only remaining real competition, Nikki Haley. The worst kept secret in politics is how badly the Democrats want to run against Donald Trump. Who the hell was the imposter that went up on the stage before and like claimed a victory? She did very poorly, actually. He pitched a fit. He was he was insulting. He was doing what he does. But I know that's what he does when he's insecure. I know that's what he does when he is threatened and he should feel threatened. You could see that he's really irritated by her, which she says, hey, listen, I know him so well. It, it helps her argument. Fox News Sunday and Living the Bream podcast host Shannon Bream. He wouldn't be acting this way if he weren't intimidated, if he wasn't insecure about what's happening. So I think the more that she says things like that, probably the more upset he's going to get. Our Fox News voter analysis showed us that there was a big chunk of GOP voters who said, I've known all along who it's going to be. When I was on the ground in New Hampshire, I would talk to Trump folks at their events, meeting people who were supporting him, and they would say like, oh, no, I never considered anybody else. But for the group of people who are considering other people and have been open to other people, that group is breaking a majority of them for Nikki Haley. So she's going to have the argument. Hey, I wanted it down to two. It's down to two. And now people are choosing me late in the game more than they are President Trump. This isn't over after just two states vote. Look at that analysis. I mean, New Hampshire is one of those states where you it, where you don't necessarily have to be a Republican to um, to vote. You you do. But just for a minute, you, right. can, you, can, you can go right back. So a lot of her mm-hmm. support came from independent, so-called independent and affiliated voters, where a large majority of the registered Republicans went for Trump. So in other states, he's going right. to have an easier time. Now, the vulnerability here, as we've said all along, it hasn't changed. 35% of people in New Hampshire said they will never, ever vote for Donald Trump in a general election. Mm-hmm. And so what happens in November? In 2016 or 2020, New Hampshire did not go for President Trump, despite what he said in his speech that night in the general election and went to the Democrats. So... You know, I asked uh, Senator J.D. Vance about this. We know what the polls show us. Are you just asking people to gamble and to move forward? And plus, 
our polling all shows as well, if the president is convicted, that's a big if on any of these charges, there's another group of people who would bleed away and say, I'm not going to vote for him if he's convicted of a felony. So there's a lot of faith that Trump uh, and his supporters are asking the GOP to put in him that he can pull this off in the general. That's been Nikki Haley's big argument. It resonated with a lot of people I talked to in New Hampshire that she pulls better head to head against President Biden. But will those arguments be enough to get her delegates and get her some wins? It's not showing up in the polling right now, but it is a two person race. So she's got what she wants. Let's see if it works. Yeah, no, she like you said, she has some big money donor meetings early next week. She says she raised a million bucks in the 24 hours after New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And but, you know, she's going to have to convince these people with deep pockets who might not support Trump at least at this point, that they're not throwing away money down a hole with her. And that's going to be the big argument. This is a group, a lot of these folks who have supported her. And you know, President Trump has wailed on her saying you're being funded, you're being backed by Democrats. She says, if I can bring in Democrats and independents, why don't we want them in our tent? The question is whether they stick around and vote for her in a general. Stick around and vote for him in a general? Probably not. He's got some work to do with that constituency. But If she can convince enough of these high dollar donors who are very worried and they feel like it's catastrophic for the country if we have another President Trump term, you know, they've got to be convinced that she can actually start pulling some things across the finish line unless something really strange happens in uh, South Carolina. And a month is a long time in politics. There's not one poll that has her anywhere near being within striking distance of him. Nearly every elected official there has gone to his camp. Uh, has endorsed him. He loves rubbing that in her face. So South Carolina is going to be a really tough night for her. Yeah, in her state. When we last spoke, seems like a lifetime ago, but Ron DeSantis was a candidate for president. Um, Isn't that crazy? I know. Uh, now reading <laughs> How the, fast things go. Now, reading some of the campaign obituaries, you know, the usual finger pointing and what mistakes he may have made or the campaign may have made. In the end, though, in his defense, it strikes me that there was nothing, nothing, nothing he could have done. Uh, maybe there's stuff he could have done better, but he could not... He just isn't Donald Trump. And that's who most Republicans want, at least at this point. Yeah. And he acknowledged that in his speech when he talked about dropping out. He said, it's clear that most GOP primary voters want to give President Trump another chance. And it forced him to do what all of these candidates have had to do. Also run to the former president's defense, talking about the DOJ, um, Biden administration, prosecutions of him, the way that they um, label it. So you know, President Trump was always in a position where he came in with the, you know, the the veil of an incumbent. But once all of these things started happening with the various state and federal charges against him, it only rallied people to him as he predicted it would. And I just don't know how um, DeSantis would overcome that. He also, in our polling for favorability, especially in Iowa, he was at the top of the list for favorable. So people liked him. It's not like the Trump supporters didn't like him that I talked to. They're like, no, we like him too. We just don't think it's his time. But that's the whole argument. Like you said, maybe there's just no, at this moment in history, there just wasn't a way forward for him. Well, and he's not going to talk about this publicly and nobody I'm about to talk about is going to talk about this publicly. But Okay, unless Haley somehow takes off like a rocket, the only way Trump loses the nomination is if he's incapacitated in some way, like legally or physically, and then the party's going to have to figure it out, depending on you know when this happens. And it's the same thing with President Biden. What happens if a, if a president-elect then can't be president between November and January, for example? Um, right. Well, in that, in that case, the vice president-elect becomes president. But 
Anyway, the situation- Which I think in this, I think in this uh, campaign will be more important than yeah. it usually is because both of, if we end up with the two top contenders at this moment, both of them would be into their 80s serving in this term. So I do think we're going to have a lot more attention on those VP picks than we normally would. Um, the White House spent, spent the past week promoting abortion rights, contraception rights, A, trying to accomplish it, and B, trying to keep it as a campaign issue. Uh, for example, the State of the Union, uh, uh, Katie, uh, Katie Cox, her name is, has been invited to the State of the Union. She's this woman in Texas mm-hmm. who was not allowed to have an abortion in her state. She had to go out of state, even though she had this um, fetus diagnosed with an uh, anomaly. The Biden administration wants to put her story and stories like it mm-hmm. uh, front and center. It's a big practical about it, pragmatic about it. It's a big winning issue for them. It has been. I mean, that's been the case. Uh, there are a number of states trying to get these issues on their ballot so that it would drive people out come November. Florida is one of the states where they're battling over this. But we've talked about this, even in states that abortion isn't on the ballot in any way, uh, you know, a state measure or anything like that. The candidates are running issues and ads that are all about abortion. I, that was true here in Virginia, where I live in Northern Virginia, where the entire Virginia legislator legislative body was up for re-election. There was no abortion measure on the ballot, but you wouldn't know that by watching the ads. They know it's worked for them. Um, he's upside down on every issue, nearly every issue, certainly every issue that ranks near the top with voters, immigration, the economy, foreign policy. They're upside down. They have to go where they think they have something that works. And abortion has been the one bright spot, if you can call it that, electorally for um, Democrats. And so it seems like that's really where they're going to go. This huge rally here in Northern Virginia a couple of days ago, they are going to leverage what they think will get voters out the door. And Donald Trump, to be fair, also gets Democrat voters out the door. Yeah. Um, uh, Like you said, abortion, immigration, uh, especially for Republicans, and a lot of independents are are the the main priorities uh, this year. Uh, it was a stronger year than most economists expected last year. The final GDP numbers came out, and um, inf- and also inflation's easing. But look, it might just be too late for the president on that. People know what they paid for stuff then. They know what they pay for stuff mm-hmm. now, and they don't like it. And a lot of the accomplishments that the that the administration can brag about aren't really going to come to fruition or, or or make anybody's lives better right now. Yeah, because it's it's such a daily measure of your life, buying groceries, putting gas in the car, paying your rent or your mortgage. I mean, there's such a daily check-in for people that they can hear talking points from the White House or from Biden surrogates, but they know what their reality is. So not only are they frustrated about the economy, they're frustrated that they think people don't get it and don't feel their pain. And the the president's really been pushed by folks in his orbit to say, you got to get out there and say, I know you're struggling. I know you're hurting. Here's what I'm going to do about it. They feel like the president and a lot of his close allies that he's not getting credit for the improvement that's come. But we always have to remember when we get numbers on GDP or jobs, nearly all of them have been a net decline when they are revised. Now, that's not the headline that people get because you get that first headline like, oh, a stronger than expected month with jobs. Oh, by the way, we're also um, revising down November and October. But don't look at that part. Just look at the part that's good for this month. And now will they come back and revise December? Will they revise January? So uh, people know their reality doesn't line up with the brightest headlines about the economy. But a lot of folks do think it's moving in the right direction. Uh, Finally, on immigration, you've got this fight between the federal government and Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Supreme Court ruled um, for the Biden administration that Texas has to take down this razor wire 
um, along spots in the border, uh, the Rio Grande River, uh, which Abbott's basically just ignoring. Um, now, the administration's defense is, look, we would like to fix immigration, but the Republicans want to keep it as an issue. So they're the ones stopping us by not approving more money for border agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is it, it's a big winning issue for the Republicans. This you know video of just wave after wave of people coming into the country um, really resonates with people. Yeah. And again, it's not just Republicans, it's Democrats, too. We know we all cover these Democrat mayors and governors who are coming forward to the White House, quote unquote, begging for help. You've got residents in places like Chicago. You see the African-American residents there who have come forward to say, we needed all of this help with healthcare, with education, with our neighborhoods. You told us the money wasn't there. And now you're spending it on people who've come here illegally. I mean, they're furious. So blue run cities and states are really running up against this. The polling is horrible for the White House, for the president. He finally admits to our Jackie Heinrich, yeah, it's bad. And it's been bad for 10 years after the White House has told us. It's under control. The border is secure. They're having to acknowledge the reality. So, yes, what happens on Capitol Hill? There's this big splinter between the GOP and the Senate, the GOP and the House. House, a lot of conservative members saying what the Senate's putting together is dead on arrival here. When you have such a tiny majority, that's the problem you run into. But it will give the White House and the Biden administration and the reelection campaign the ability to say, we met you halfway in the Senate deal. House, you were demanding we do something on the border. You didn't take the deal. It's your fault. Fox News Sunday anchor, host of the Living the Bream podcast, Shannon Bream. Thanks, Shannon. Chris, thank you. I'm Dana Perino. Join me for my brand new podcast, Perino on Politics. As we analyze the 2024 election cycle, make sure you subscribe to this series on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts and leave me a rating and review. This is Kennedy with your Fox News commentary coming up. Too many kids are missing way too much school, a problem that predates the pandemic but has gotten a lot worse since. And it's led to some innovative thinking in Ohio. A proposed bill in the state legislature would pay for good attendance. Republican State Representative Josh Williams isn't a fan. He says that's like paying someone to obey the law. We're going to pay the parent to do what you are legally obligated to do, which is make sure your child is educated. The pilot program would involve some kindergartners and ninth graders, with payments made to the parents of the younger children and jointly to the high schoolers and their parents. $25 cash transfers biweekly when the student is in class for nine out of ten school days during that period. Bigger rewards are possible at the end of each quarter and the end of the year and for graduating. But is cash really the answer? Well, it's working under a different incentive program for seven-year-old Emmanuel who tells Fox 5 Atlanta. I was like, whoa, if I can earn money for my good grades, I'll be rich. (laughs) She's been using an Atlanta-based app called School Economy, which partnered with area school districts. Students get points for grades, and those points can add up to gift cards, which got popular in a hurry, growing from 800 students taking part to more than 5,000 in only about three months. Still, Paying students to show up more may be a tough sell in the Ohio legislature, where the proposed bill to create the pilot program remains in the committee stage for now. But supporters call this an emergency. So right now, I'll just give you some numbers to paint the picture. And and I want to emphasize, this is not just Ohio. This is a national problem. Ohio State Representative Donnie Isaacson is a Democrat and co-sponsor of the bill. 
really an international problem. Other countries are struggling with this as well. But here in Ohio, on the eve of the pandemic, 11% of kindergartners, so students in their foundational year of learning, were missing more than 10% of the school year, so were deemed chronically absent. In the most recent year we have data, that number jumped from 11% to 29%. For ninth graders, so the year where you're starting high school, your first year your grades count towards um, your college application, we went from about 15% on the eve of the pandemic to almost 32% here in Ohio of chronically absent students. So it it is just a massive challenge that on any given day, a huge percentage of the student body just isn't in the classroom, isn't in school. And that jump is not blamed solely on the pandemic, right? And, and lingering effects from it because the percentage was pretty high before the pandemic, as, as you're noting. I mean, 11 and 15% are certainly much higher than we would like, but they are nowhere near the numbers that we're seeing now where we're starting to get close to a third of students in some, in some grades. And in, school, in the lower income school districts in rural and urban areas, you know, we're seeing chronic absenteeism rates of 40, 45%. Before we talk about the bill, I'm just wondering, is... is... Is there sort of, you know, are there larger issues stemming from the pandemic that are folding into this that that also need to be addressed? I think the answer to that is clearly yes, although I'll leave it to the sociologists to sort of dig too deep into that. I do think clearly something about the culture of going to school every day has shifted as a result of uh, remote learning during the pandemic. And so we need to get back into the culture of parents and students expecting that they're going to be at school every day. And so as a policymaker, I am just most interested in what can we do to get us there and what can we do to get us there as soon as possible because we need these kids in the classroom yesterday. So how would this current proposal work? So the bill uh, that we introduced is a very modest pilot program uh, meant to just test two different financial incentives to boost both attendance and graduation rates in the lowest performing schools. So the way it would work on the attendance side of things is that we would test in a small subset of uh, urban and rural schools whether $50 a month distributed in different ways, so either biweekly or quarterly, but $50 a month uh, to kindergarten parents and ninth grade students and their parents or guardians could act as an incentive to boost attendance in schools uh, where chronic absenteeism is highest. And then on the graduation side, whether a $250 graduation incentive could help boost graduation rates with additional bonuses for good grades in schools with the lowest graduation rates in Ohio. I know this is a pilot program that's being proposed, as you said, but but it sounds like something that could add up quickly. And I mean, obviously, you want it to work. You want it to get more kids to be in school and be absent less. But how is this affordable in terms of the money? Totally fair question. Uh, You know, we'll think about it in two ways. One, as you noted, this is a very small pilot program. So we're talking about $1.5 million over two years uh, in a state with an annual education budget of uh, almost $10 billion. So the pilot is very small just to see whether this would work in Ohio. Uh, And then the second thing is that, you know, we should start thinking about 
policy interventions, especially in education, as investments and as preventative spending. So, you know, just as in healthcare, right, it is less expensive and ultimately better to spend resources up front on a healthy diet, on exercise, than it is to treat chronic diseases once they uh, come about, like diabetes. It is so much less expensive for society, for the taxpayer, for government to invest in getting kids in school in kindergarten and ninth grade and graduating from high school than it is to pay the additional costs of when they get in trouble, when they're not in school. Uh, the fact that we have a workforce that won't have critical reading skills or basic math. Uh, you know, if a student doesn't graduate from high school, their lifetime earnings go dr down dramatically. They're much more likely to utilize public benefits. So this is actually, if it works, a way of saving the system significant amounts of money and getting kids both in school and graduating. Now, the bill does have a Republican co-sponsor, so I know it's a bipartisan effort. There is at least one Republican legislator who has argued, though, you know, why pay kids to follow the law? Doesn't it end up setting a bad precedent if you're saying here's cash for something that you're really supposed to be doing anyway? You know, I'm really proud of the fact that this is a bipartisan bill and that my joint sponsor is uh, one of the senior most Republican leaders in the Ohio House, uh, who is a very conservative individual. So, you know, he looked at this and it was about it was about outcomes. And that's what it is for me as well, which is we need more kids in the classroom and it, we can stand on principle and we can, you know, get caught up in our feelings. Well, I didn't get that. And, you know, is it completely fair? But ultimately, our job as policymakers is to identify challenges and try and come up with things that will help solve them. And we have a challenge right now with chronic absenteeism, and we're not treating it like the emergency that it is. So this is an innovative pilot program that has a robust amount of data behind it. There are There is decades of evidence uh, from other cities, from other countries, rigorous studies that demonstrate that this can help boost attendance and graduation. So we just want to spend a very modest amount of money to see if it can work here in Ohio. What are the kinds of things that haven't worked so far? And I, I ask that in part because I know in some districts, at least, poor attendance alone cannot be a reason to hold a child back in a grade or to prevent a child from graduating, for instance. So are there other types of stricter enforcement measures that have been tried, you know, before this? Is this cash kind of seen as a, a last resort effort? Or is it one of the first ideas in Ohio? I'm in my first term, so I, I don't want to speak for the history of the Ohio legislature here. But since I arrived in the House, uh, we have only paid lip service to the issue of chronic absenteeism without actually introducing bills that could make a difference. So for me, it's really important that we are now talking about and focusing on a core issue in education rather than the tangential issues and rabbit holes that we often go down, right? I, we should be arguing, love it or hate it, we should be arguing about policies that are about getting kids in the classroom and ready to learn, not about where they go to the bathroom. And so that's what this bill is doing. But I, I understand people, you know, being a little wary and a little hesitant, which is why we are doing it as a small pilot. Because we, if, if it works to really get more kindergartners uh, showing up to class, and all of a sudden, they're they're doing better. Their teachers are reporting that things are going better. 
I think we'll have a, a lot more of a leg to stand on if we do look to expand it. But first, we need to see if it can be successful. I know other cities have tried different types of incentive programs in Atlanta, the Atlanta metro area. There's an app that lets students um, get gift cards for good grades, for instance. In the Detroit area, this goes back a few years, though, they had a monthly stipend that was part of a broader effort for a community college path for more students. Um, Cash may not always work or it may not be enough cash. Have other incentive programs worked in the long term that you've been able to find? So there's really robust research on what are known as conditional cash transfers. Um, And that's exactly like it sounds in the policy discourse, right? It's a cash transfer that is conditional upon a behavior change. They are much more effective in the education space when you're focused on inputs. So getting someone to attend school uh, rather than outputs like test scores, right? The data is a little less conclusive uh, in that area. So, but, but I spend a ton of time in classrooms all over the state of Ohio and I asking students about this issue and asking them whether this policy would work or how they would structure it, what would get them to come to class. And this is by no means the only thing they say, you know, they want, more experiential learning. They want smaller class sizes, so they get more teacher attention. Some of them have issues with transportation on getting to school. Um, you know, their parents are working second or third shift, so it doesn't. The schedules don't always line up. The buses can take an hour, hour and a half in some of these urban district, urban and rural districts. So, the, of course, there's a myriad of issues that are impacting attendance. But we are hoping, and I think the data demonstrates that this is one of those interventions that, if successful can help cut through the noise pretty quickly. You and I both are are very familiar with uh, you know cash as an incentive. I think most people are. It's sort of it's a straightforward simple uh, incentive structure that we're all very uh, familiar with. Ohio Democratic State Representative Dunny Isaacson, thank you very much for your time. Good luck with the bill. Thank you so much. chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Kennedy, what's on your mind? I am delighted there is a Barbie backlash since Ryan Gosling, who was nominated for his portrayal as Ken in the Barbie movie, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, he came out whining and complaining because Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig were not nominated for Best Actress and Best Director in the most recent Oscar nominations. No one is entitled to an award or a nomination because they achieve some level of box office success or critical acclaim. This is such an empty argument. And the idea that somehow the patriarchy is real because Margot Robbie was nominated for Best Actress, yet Ryan Gosling was. So was America Ferreira. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress in Barbie. The movie received eight Academy Award nominations. The movie was not ignored by the Academy. But what happened was a woman was, in fact, nominated for Best Director, Justine Trier. So this whole idea 
that the male-dominated world is dead set against two people who maybe their work wasn't as extraordinary as some of the other people in their respective categories. Have we ever considered that? Have we ever considered that, you know, possibly Ryan Gosling was a bigger star and exhibited more talent than Margot Robbie? Margot Robbie was fine. The movie was fine. It was not a cultural watershed that created this massive paradigm shift It was actually kind of boring and one note after two hours, and there were quite a few holes in the plot that the director, frankly, uh, didn't address. So there were better directed movies. There were better acted performances. And this idea that Hillary Clinton is now weighing in on the so-called snub is so incredibly disingenuous and gross. She tweeted, Greta and Margot, while it can sting to win the box office but not take home the gold, your millions of fans love you. You're both so much more than Kenuff. Hashtag Hillary Barbie. Hillary Clinton weighing in on this is absolute garbage. There is no comparison to her lack of political instincts and losing the presidency twice because she's bad at it. And a movie that made over a billion dollars was still nominated for eight Academy Awards, won a made up Golden Globe and you know, just happened to not have two main categories uh, where their operatives were not nominated. That is no comparison to Hillary Clinton's presidential failure. And the fact that she is trying to hitch her star to this wagon is very, very embarrassing for her. As I said in the Daily Mail, uh, there are not enough tears from Barbie fans to moisten the dry reputation of Hillary Clinton and her failed political career. So the fact that she weighed in just goes to show how absurd this is and how disingenuous the coverage of this so-called snub has been when it really was not a snub at all. Sorry to throw barbs at Barbie, but she deserves it. I'm Kennedy, host of the Kennedy Saves the World podcast. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.